0: An insidious trend has infiltrated the evangelical church in our country over the last 50 years. The professing church at large has lost the pure and simple gospel. The gospel that exalts the person and work of Jesus. And calls everyone everywhere to turn from their sin... ...and believe in Him for salvation from sin and judgment. The gospel has been watered down to be a feel-good message. Sin, righteousness, judgment, Christ's atoning death and resurrection... ...and God's requirement to repent and believe... ...have been replaced by mistakes... Feelings of unworthiness, self-image, Jesus the gentle example to follow, and being a loving neighbor. So the gospel has been changed into pray a prayer, walk an aisle, and a feel-good message that allows you to have your best life now. Beloved, this is heresy. And it has produced a weak, watered-down, professing church, a church where we can't tell the difference between the church and the world. In fact, we look, that is, the professing evangelical church, like the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation. I wonder whether a large amount of the churches in America are filled with unbelievers. It is a sad time. The gospel is clear. Jesus is Lord and Savior. All that he is and did and is doing is what we need. We are sinners who deserve judgment. But if we do not repent and believe in Jesus, we will be sent to eternal hell forever. We need Christ Jesus our Lord. We must turn from our sin and trust in Jesus alone to save us. He then becomes our Savior, our Master, our Lord, our Heavenly Father. We live for Him. We follow Him. We obey Him. Following Jesus is costly and it's worth it. And we joyfully give up our life. For the one who gave up gave up his life for us. So today we come to in our passage and in this beautiful explanation of the glory of Christ. We come to a gospel call. Much like the evangelical church of our day. There are thousands that were following Jesus. However many of those that were quote unquote following Jesus were not genuine Jesus does what no other seeker sensitive church has ever done in the history of the planet. He basically stands up and says count the cost to follow me could cost you everything. Your best life is not now. Jesus was speaking with authority He was performing miracles with authority. He was revealing that He was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He was all-powerful. He was the one who was sent into the world to save people, to reverse the curse, and to guarantee a coming kingdom. People knew there was something different about Jesus. He was a breath of fresh air in the self-righteous works righteousness world of Judaism. He offered hope. Yet he required perfect righteousness. By this time or in Jesus' ministry, a large crowd had formed. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, a large crowd followed him. And then look at verse 18. Now, When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. There was a large crowd following Jesus. Many were coming. He speaks like no other person. He does things that no other person's ever done. Let's see what he's about. However, as we will see, just because someone was following Jesus... It didn't mean they were truly committed to him. Much like our society, many people claim to believe in Jesus. Checking the box on a survey that says, I'm a Christian. But they may not really be saved. So today we see Jesus begins to clear out the false converts. Jesus' followers must be fully committed to Him. And at the same time, we will also see that even true disciples of Jesus are prone to lack faith. Friends, this is a message that will call all of us in this room to evaluate where we put our hope and our faith. The good news is, we will see Jesus is a mighty Savior who is worthy of all of our commitment. Our passage breaks down into two sections. Very simple. Jesus' confrontation of, the follower, of false followers in verses 18 to 22. And then Jesus' confrontation of fragile followers in verses 23 to 27. Today, those of you who are here, who are on the fence with your commitment to Christ you're going to be challenged to get off the fence. Commit to Christ. For the rest of us who are truly committed to Jesus, we are going to be challenged to recognize we are still always in need of the Lord's grace. Let's start with this first point. Jesus' confrontation of false followers. Read with me again, look at it, verse 18 in your Bibles. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me. And allow the dead to bury their own dead. Wow, right? Jesus tells the disciples to load up in the boat. They are going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This could have been a signal they were headed towards Gentile country. This would would not have been an easy pill to swallow for anyone struggling with legalism. The self-righteous system of keeping the law to earn salvation. Go to, we're going in a boat ride over to the Gentile land. So... Who's the first one to approach Jesus? A scribe. A scholar. An expert on the law. Someone who had all the head knowledge in the world. Someone who had studied the Old Testament books of the Bible, the first five books especially, probably knew it inside and out and could cross every T and dot every I, figuratively speaking. And he says what? Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So what's wrong with this statement? At first glance, we don't see anything wrong, do we? It looks fine to me. Teacher, I want to go with you. Is that what he's saying? But Jesus obviously knew something we don't know. Why? He challenges the scribe's commitment. Jesus says, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus uses this phrase or title, Son of Man, for himself. This is his favorite title to describe himself. It's the title that pointed to his humanity. It's the title that pointed to his fulfillment of the Old Testament passage that pointed to the Messiah calling himself that. And Jesus says, in effect, foxes have a home, birds have a home, but I don't have a place to lay my head. Animals have homes, but I don't. I'm far from materially well provided for. Jesus is... Challenging the scribe. Put simple, if you're going to follow me, it will cost you. Count the cost. Following me doesn't mean you will have comforts of life that even the animals have. We don't get the answer, do we? In the passage, we're not told what happens. We don't know, did the scribes say, okay, that's fine, I don't need a place to live. I'm with you. Let's go to that Gentile country on the other side. We're not told. But the point is clear. Following Jesus requires total commitment. A heart commit, committed to Christ above where we lay our heads at night. It's like what Jesus said to the rich young ruler, right? Sell everything you have and follow me. Then we see another follower in our passage approaches Jesus. Notice. And when the disciple, he's called a disciple, comes up to him and says to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, wait a second. (laughs) What's wrong with that? bury my father first, then I'll follow you. Well, first off, we need to acknowledge Jesus knows hearts better than all of us. (laughs) Some speculate the man's father was older and had not yet died. So he's wanting to kind of go hang out with his father until he dies so he can get what? His inheritance. So Jesus confronts him and goes right at his heart. Just like the rich young ruler, just like the scribe previously. He goes right at the heart. And he confronts him. You know, I don't believe the passage tells us really any more than what it says though. The man wanted to go bury his father. Had the man's father already died? Well, if you read the Bible at what it says, the man wanted to go bury his father because what? He was dead. You don't bury living people. Right? Normally. But notice Jesus says... Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. What? Where is the compassion we know Jesus is all about? Boy, in our culture, he would have been accused of lacking compassion, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have been slayed for not weeping with those who weep. And lacking heart. Where's his heart? Listen, beloved. Jesus knows our heart. And on top of this, Jesus is worthy of all of our allegiance. This is over every relationship. And again... Remember, Jesus is the incarnate God. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is God. I know some of you probably heard me in Sunday school pipe up. It was because I'm on fire with this passage. We need to take serious who God is. We need to take serious who the Lord is. He doesn't call us to a whimsy walk. He calls us to total commitment to Him. All-out obedience. Righteous pursuit of Him. We are required to love Him with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls. He requires perfect faith. This is hard to hear, isn't it? Especially for some of us, maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, does this pastor speak like this every week? When the passage talks harsh, we go with what the passage says. We are required to love Christ with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. We must love him more than our family members. We must love him more than our homes. We must love him more than our own lives. Jesus doesn't say this only one time in his ministry, folks. This wasn't just a, oh, I think I'll throw this bomb out there and see how it goes. He says this Numerous times in numerous different ways. Let's look at a couple examples. Luke nine twenty-three and he, Jesus was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Luke 9, 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 14, 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters yes and even his own life he cannot be my disciple whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple wow Matthew 10:37 he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Mark 8, 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You think he was a popular preacher? He knew how to finish the Fake followers off real quick, didn't he? Speak the truth, say what's required, and then see him flee. Beloved, we need to understand that Jesus requires total commitment to him. In fact, The standard for commitment, listen closely, is impossible for sinners like you and me. So what do we need? What do we need? We need, listen beloved, listen closely. We need the same Lord that requires this commitment to help us obey that commitment. We need Him to work in our hearts so that our commitment will be just as committed to Him as He requires. We need His help. We also need the Lord to provide a sacrifice for our sin of not being committed to Him perfectly. We need a Savior for our lack of faith, don't we? We need a Savior for our lack of commitment... Every time we have been committed to anything or anyone over him, we have sinned against him. And we deserve judgment for this. So, the good news? Jesus provided this. Jesus provided this. See, Jesus knew people were sinful. He knew they were committed to themselves, not him. This same crowd would flee at his arrest or condemn him to be crucified. Even the disciples would deny him. They would see all these miracles and they would flee when he was arrested. But the Son of Man came into the world to die for wicked men, for us. Praise God. Now here is where we hit the crucial point of the passage. You must acknowledge you are a sinner and you need a Savior. You must acknowledge that your commitment to Him is frail at best. For you that are on the fence, you must cry out to God and say, I am a sinner. I need you to save me. You need to turn to Him and trust that He can save you. If God is working in your heart, you will confess your sin and turn to Him and trust in Him. If God isn't working in your heart, You will think Jesus is not enough for you and you will reject him as all satisfying. Listen closely. No man ever in the history of the world required what Jesus required. Do you understand? No man's ever said this. Pick up your cross and follow me you must love me more than anyone. Nobody. If another man said that, that would be what? Idolatry. Run. But Jesus says this. Why? Because he was the God-man. He was the one that was worthy of this commitment. Only God incarnate who would take up a cross and die for his own, could require this. So folks, listen. Get in the boat. Embrace the Savior. Trust Him. He's better than your house. He's better than your riches. He's better than your spouse. He's better than your family. He's better than your life. Christ is all satisfying. Trust Him. Follow Him. Turn to Him. Beg Him to save you from your self-centered hearts. Then trust Him to save you. And walk by faith. Knowing he is your hope. We trust him to save us, don't we? We trust him to sanctify us, don't we? We trust him to take us to glory, don't we? My hope is in Christ alone. I have no other hope outside of him. I can't justify myself, I can't make myself look right, I can't be righteous. I can't get more holy. I can't become more holy. I can't go to glory. I cannot do any of those things on my own. I can't do it. I need Christ. He's our only hope. Is he worthy of following? Oh, yeah, he is. Is he better than my children? Yes, he is. Is he better than my parents? Yes, he is. Is he better than my wife? Yes, he is. Is he better than my life? Oh, yeah. He's better than my life. What should these two men have done? What should these two men have done when Jesus said this to him? They should have fell on their knees and cried out to the Lord to save them. That's what they should have done. Just like the rich young ruler. They should have fallen on their knees and said, I'm a sinner. These things will never come from me on my own. I need your help. Help me. They should have said, My heart is sinful. And I haven't always been fully committed to you. Please forgive me and make me new. Lord, please save me. And folks, this is the cry of the unconverted. We can't, Lord, but you can. We need you. Please save me. How many times do us believers say that phrase? All the time. I'm constantly saying, Lord, help. Everyone who God is working in their hearts sees this and knows this and confesses this. The Spirit convicts us of our. Our sin regularly. We find ourselves bowed low before Him often, don't we? We know our righteousness can only come from Him. Our faith is weak. Our sin is great. Our love is little. But Jesus is our Savior. And if He says, get in the boat and go to the other side, we get in the boat and by His grace... We go to the other side, no matter what it we face. You say, well, Mike, the Lord doesn't ask me to get in a boat and go to a Gentile country. I'm already here. No, but he may sovereignly ask you to walk a hard road. As one of our brothers sits in the front, second row, a brother sits in the front and his father in the second row and one of their sons faces the real possibility of going to see Jesus very soon, this is not an easy road to walk, is it? We hurt, we struggle, but he's better than this life. Maybe it is watching someone we love dearly go through a struggle. Maybe it is we are mistreated by someone we thought loved us. Maybe it's remaining single longer than we'd like. Maybe it's watching a child turn away from the Lord. Maybe it's being in a dead-end job. In the world's perspective. Maybe it's not having a lot of stuff. The issue for all of us is this. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Is his person and work enough to motivate us to willingly give up everything for him. Surrendering our lives and trusting him whether we have lots or little. I have good news for you, beloved. He is enough. He is all satisfying. He is worthy of time. Total obedience and full commitment. He is better than anything this world has to offer. And we who believe in him will enjoy him forever in eternity. And so let's get in the boat. What do you say? Let's follow him. If you're here and you've played Christian for most of your life or a portion of your life... Get off the fence. Embrace Christ. Trust Him. Pursue Him. I know you're like, Pastor Mike, you're sounding like Jonathan Edwards and Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But it's time. It's time for true believers to step up and embrace Christ. Stand with Him. Be willing to sacrifice for Him. He's worth it. So we saw Jesus confronted the false followers, calling them to true commitment. Notice Jesus' confrontation of fragile followers in verse 23 to 27. Look, when He got into the boat, His disciples followed him. There, they got in the boat. Some of them at least. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What a passage, right? Amazing. I would love to have been there. How many of you? Yeah, I'd love to be there. That would have been a cool day, wouldn't it? (laughs) I wonder what it would have been like, though, when that storm started breaking in. (laughs) I wonder how long it took for him. We don't have all the details. I wonder how long it took for them to go. He's asleep. What's going on? (laughs) the scene here shifts to the travel across the sea in a boat. The scene is such a wonderful glimpse into both the heart of Jesus' closest followers and a glimpse into the glory of our Savior and King. The key words in verse 23 are these The disciples followed him. They followed him. In light of what he just said, they followed. These guys did. Remember, this is what Jesus had just told the man previously. He said, follow me. Right? He said that. That's what he started the phrase with. Follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. And the disciples here do it. What does this say about the disciples in the boat? Well, no matter how small their faith was, it appears that God was working in their hearts To some degree, they were there, weren't they? They were willing to go. The disciples were doing it, they were obeying. They were willing to go. We don't know how many of the disciples, by the way, were in this boat at this time. We we know they were willing to go, though, right? The setting's perfect. The crowd is left behind. Even some false disciples left. And Jesus leaves in a boat towards the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of set up for us, though, if you think about it. Yep, here are the faithful few. We may be tempted to think, yep, I would have been in the boat. How many of you, by raise your hands, do you think you would have been in the boat? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you in here. I would have been in the boat. I think I would have been in the boat. But friends, watch. Watch closely. The faithful few become the frightful few. behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Let me ask you, have you ever been in a boat in a storm? <laughs> Let me tell you, beloved, that is a scary thing. That is a really scary thing. I can only imagine what it would have been like to be in a wooden boat without a motor in the middle of the Sea of Galilee with waves crashing all around you. That would have been terrifying. Death looked imminent. (laughs) We're going to die. Yet I love this. Jesus is asleep. <laughs> He's asleep. The god man is asleep. What? He must have really been tired. What do you think? His humanity is obviously seen in that. How do you sleep in them in a boat in a storm? How do you do that? I'm so intrigued by the disciples' statement to Jesus. It's profound in so many ways. First, they appear to be frightened, yet they have enough sense to wake him and ask for his deliverance from the storm and dying. Yet, they marvel when he actually does that. Wait, do you see the kind of the paradox here? It's like, ah, we're going to die. Help us, save us, we're going to die. You did that? What? It's crazy, isn't it? Their faith is small, isn't it? Oh, so much like Mine. I mean, in hindsight, wouldn't it have been amazing if they could have just laid down next to him and prayed? <laughs> okay, I can. Here's, here's, here, here would have been the other line. Okay, I've seen him show he's all-powerful. He just took care of all those diseases. Those demons were gone immediately. It's time to watch him calm the storm. Or die. Either one, that's okay, because he's Lord. How many of us, honestly, would say, okay, I'm ready for the nap with Jesus? (laughs) No, I'm not talking about the nap, because you're tired. I'm talking about your faith is so firm in him, that no matter how bad it gets going around you, you can sleep, and you sleep fine. <laughs> but instead, they reacted exactly like all of us, right? Wake Jesus up! We're dying! Maybe he could do something about this. Just maybe. I think this is why Jesus rebukes their little faith. But let's all be honest. Even all of us who know Jesus and know all he has done for us, we have moments like this too, don't we? Are you like me? I think, man, I've trusted the Lord with my soul. I trusted Him for eternity. I'm staking my life on the reality that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead and I'm going to have Him forever and be with Him forever. I've staked my whole everything on this. And then somebody pulls out in front of me. And I act like I'm Lord of the world. And everything's not going the way I want it to go. Why not? Oh, friends, I'm afraid that we are much more like these disciples than we want to admit. And yes, we all paint up and we clean up and we look so wonderful when we come to church on Sunday. But can you imagine if there was that recorder in your home watching you and we played that on The church overhead every Sunday? Yowzer! Stop! Even worse, can you imagine if we could record your thoughts? Talk about some embarrassment. Wouldn't there be? We of little faith. What do we need to do? Cry out to the Lord, even in our little faith. No, He might not calm the storm, but He will give you peace to weather it. Pun intended. Friends, Jesus wants one main thing out of his disciples. You ready? I'm going to simplify it faith. He wants you to trust him. He's going to bring you to that place where you have absolutely nowhere to turn but Him. And if you're not at that place right now, let me give you a word of advice. Turn now. Abide now. Because if not, when the storm comes, you are going to be leveled. We must remember, he is the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign Lord. He can save us from our sins. We know it. We trust him. He can save us from our fears. We know it. We can trust him. He can save us from our worries. He is the all-satisfying Lord of lords and King of kings. So I want you to notice the contrast between the two lessons. First, Jesus was calling for total commitment. Calling for followers to get off the fence and truly commit to Him. Prioritize Him above everything. Then next, He took the faithful, committed disciples, weak in their faith, and caused them to grow in faith. And at the end they say, wow, I know him a little bit better. And he is much bigger and greater than any man who has ever walked this planet. He exhorted them to grow in their trust in him, rebuking their little faith. One needed real faith. The other needed their faith to grow. Ultimately, beloved, all of us need more faith in him. So the question is, who is the hero in the story? Yep, you see it. It's obvious, isn't it? Jesus is. Jesus showed he was all-powerful again. Jesus revealed he was the God-man here to help mankind. Jesus showed full faith in him is the only way to live. I want everybody in here again to remember Jesus. Yes, Jesus saved the disciples from dying in the storm. But this was a small feat compared to... To their bigger need. What was their bigger need? Their lack of faith. Their sinful heart. Their propensity to doubt. They needed someone to pay for their sin. And that was the greater thing that Christ was there to do. Beloved, we are all born sailing in a boat headed for hell. We are in the direct opposition to God. We deserve His wrath. We are on a road reserved for judgment. But God sent His Son into the world to die for sinners like me and you. He came to die to pay for our sin, even our sin of unbelief. He came to die and rise from the dead to give you life. There's eternal life for all who believe. He will provide the righteousness required for our account in order for us to go to heaven. If we will trust Him, we will be declared right. We must repent and trust in Him. We must get in the boat and lie down next to Him and rest in His providential care. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, we all right now confess our lack of faith, our little faith. We recognize that often we worry, we fear, we get discouraged, we're selfish. We need you. We pray you forgive us. We pray that you will help us to abide in Christ, that we will enjoy the rest that we have in Him, that we will remember what He has done for us, and that we will be totally committed to Christ even if it cost us our life. Help us, Father. Help us, Father. We believe. Help our unbelief. We love you. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.